Hey friends, welcome back to Witch Church. It's Mal. If you're listening, welcome back to the podcast. If you're watching, welcome back to my YouTube channel. I've got a treat for y'all today because we are finally continuing my Asteroid Goddesses series. And if you've been listening along the past year or so, you know I had Bear River on the podcast to talk about Vesta. And then I had Louise Eddington on the podcast to talk about series. I'll link both of those episodes down below. But today is a very special treat because I have one of my favorite astrologer friends with me on this episode, Denise Hewlett, who is a relationship astrologer. And I just thought she would be the perfect one to talk about Juno. As we'll learn, Juno is the wife of Zeus and Juno's placement in your natal chart has a lot to do with relationships and partner dynamics and even the partner you will end up choosing or the partners you tend to, you know, sort of uh, uh, label as your type, okay? that That is very Juno. But also Denise and I go into sort of challenging this traditional label of Juno as the planet of marriage or the, I should rather say, asteroid of marriage. And we go into questioning that and we wonder if Juno could evolve in her meaning as society evolves in its sort of uh, relationship dynamics and how we label ourselves and label our relationship dynamics. And as marriage rates sort of go down and you know, we have that Pluto and Scorpio, Pluto and Sagittarius generation kind of changing things up when it comes to marriage. Um, yeah, we're wondering Juno's relationship to things like ENM, polyamory, even a person who doesn't wish to get married at all. You know, what could Juno mean in your chart? So it's a really interesting conversation. I hope you learn a little bit more about your relationship style. And even listening to Denise's stories with her own life, uh, she, she shines a lot of light on our relationship challenges, but also the gifts that relationships can give us. So let me tell you a little bit more about Denise. We actually met this year in Tucson at the Organization for Professional Astrology's iAstrologer Conference. That was back in, I want to say May, May 2022. And Denise and I hit it off. Uh, we've been friends ever since. And I, I, I just really adore her. And um, here's Denise's bio, just to get a little snippet of who she is before we pop into the episode. So Denise Ulit is a certified relationship astrologer devoted to helping people improve the most important relationship they have of all, the one with themselves. Fascinated by the interplay between Mars and Venus, Denise has given lectures on romantic chemistry and loves to parse out various elements that make relationships click or not. <laughs> she has... She has been a member of OPA, the Organization for Professional Astrology, and also ESAR, the International Society for Astrological Research, and loves to create unique ways to bring people together and celebrate astrology in person or online. 
Denise is located in the Los Angeles greater area uh, and keep an eye out for her kind of popping off in the next few years. I think her philosophy about relationship astrology is really special. I recently received a forensic relationship astrology reading from her where she helped me move past um, uh, sort of a, a past relationship that had still kind of been on my mind with the way it, um, you know, brought up certain things within my own internal emotional world. So know that relationship astrology isn't just about, you know, is this person I'm with now? Are they right for me? It can also be about healing the past. You know, oh, this relationship was a disaster. Why? Um, so, guys, my mom just called me. <laughs> We're just going to ignore that. Um, okay. So that is the episode. I'm so excited for y'all to meet Denise. I'll have all of her information in the show notes. Comment below if you're watching on YouTube, your Juno placement, how you're relating to Juno. Give me a like, give me a subscribe, give me a comment. It really helps my YouTube channel grow. I'm manifesting 1,000 followers in this next year. Help me out, my friends. All right. Lots of love to you. Let's get into the episode. I wanted to start on, before I even go into your story with relationships, because I'm very interested in hearing about how your journey kind of led you to relationship astrology. And we are talking about Juno. Juno is this relational goddess. Uh, but I just wanted to tell the listeners, me and Denise are... Sinistry is kind of crazy because, uh, ironically, we have uh, Juno conjunct. You have Juno at 23 degrees Sagittarius. I have Juno at 27 Sag. Then it gets crazier because your Capricorn sun is on my Capricorn Venus pretty much exactly. And then your Venus in Pisces is exactly on my Saturn in Pisces. So maybe we should get married, but <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I think that's what the stars are telling yes. us. Our we have a long-term committed relationship. It yes. looks like that's gonna happen. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's <And> just beginning. <laughs> yeah, it's it's blossoming now, but I think that our relational synastry is so crazy, like interesting and our whole dynamic between us has been relationship healing. Uh, you recently gave me a, a reading about a past relationship that was extremely healing. And we've had conversations about your past relationships. So I really feel like we're meeting each other in this lifetime to help each other, you know, find our, our person or whatever. But um but yeah, that's how I kind of wanted to introduce you. And now I want to give the mic to you, Denise. And thank you so much for coming on. Um, and I want to hear, or I guess the listeners would definitely want to hear a little bit more about your journey with astrology, because I know you're kind of, you started to dive in to astrology around the time of your divorce, right? So yeah, it's, exactly. it's almost like you're, relationship astrology interest started at kind of a weird time when a relationship was breaking down. So if you feel comfortable, I want to know about that a little bit more. 
No, absolutely. And thank you so much, Mal, for inviting me to talk about one of my favorite subjects. So this is such a treat. And I didn't realize we had that much going on in our chart. So wow, it's hilarious that you pointed that out. Um, yeah. So um, yeah. So in uh, 2002, I was 33 years old and I was getting divorced. I had two kids and I thought to myself, how in the world, you know, I was raised in a very religious family. You know, I didn't date in high school or college, you know, you meet your person, you get married, da, da, da. So here I am, you know, and I'm very, I'm a Capricorn. I don't like to fit, you know, all this commitment, you know, very, very much, but you know, life happens, right? You know, and so I very much found myself struggling for something to help me understand what happened between me and this other person. We were connected in so many ways, but we were disconnected in so many others. And, you know, what I came across right away is that you start to realize the power of, of astrology is, is that it's a tool to understand yourself. And for me to get married so young, I didn't understand myself and my needs. And my partner was very young too. So if my great mission now is for everybody to understand that the most important relationship, the most you know, where you suffer the most in your intimate relationships is in your intimate relationship with yourself. So if you don't know yourself, how in the world can you expect to connect with a whole other human being who either does or doesn't know themselves? You know what I mean? And so, um, yeah, so that started this 20 years I've been studying. And um, and it is funny that you said that it's an interesting time um, to be, you know, to get into astrology is when you're getting divorced, but that's when most people start looking for answers is when something is wrong or they've had a problem. So it seemed kind of like a natural start. Fast forward this to 20 years later, I'm just ending another long-term relationship. And you would think I've been studying relationships this whole time. What you'd think I'd learn, but I have been learning <laughs> and you realize, you know, a lot of things. And so what I think is funny is when I uh, put my um, website up, my sweet sister-in-law who's known me all these years or whatever, seen all my ups and downs with my relationships or whatever, saw that I put on there that I was a relationship astrologer. And she's like, she's a Sagittarius. So she doesn't <laughs> mince words. She's like, I'm sorry, Denise, but you are a relationship astrologer. And I'm like, exactly, <laughs> exactly. You study what you need to know. You know what I mean? And I feel like it also gives me empathy. Anybody I talk to, I've been there. I know what they're feeling and I know how you can use a chart to justify a relationship. And, you know, I, I, I can see what energy cycles through the relationship, you know, and I just feel so lucky that I've had the opportunity to, um, I went through, uh, Kay Taylor's relationship astrology course. It was 26 weeks long and, um, just learned how to use the chart to just understand how we all go through cycles and how we can just give each other space in our relationships. If we just understand what the other person's going through. So Oh my gosh, definitely. And I, you know what? I love that point you made about astrology has shown you how to know yourself. And that is the most important thing you can have, the tool you can have in, in going into relationships. And so often we're fed this, um, this phrase, like you have to love yourself before you can love someone else or before someone else can love you. I, I don't know if that's necessarily the be all end all truth. Uh, the older I get, the more I don't love that just because I'm kind of discovering that, you know, receiving love from other people can kind of teach you to love yourself. And sometimes a healing relationship can be a part of a self-love journey. However, I feel like we should change that notion of you have to love yourself before you're you know, you can be in a relationship. It's almost like you have to know yourself. That's before, where I am. Before, 
and and that's what you're bringing up for me like even though you're a relationship astrologer and you're a brilliant relationship astrologer uh it doesn't mean that uh people who are you know relationship coaches relationship astrologers matchmakers do they have relationships all figured out no but it's like our life calling to do this work same thing with me and my natal chart stuff like with my highly sensitive person healing like am I the perfectly healed highly sensitive person no <laughs> like no bro. <I>, <laughs> it's it's like your space holder is also learning from you if that makes sense exactly yeah and the, it's I think it's the compassion and we start to to see our strengths and weaknesses and we have compassion then we can see the strengths and weaknesses of another person and have compassion for them you know so and then it's just funny when you were saying about, you know, why we become astrologers, you know, my um, south node, if you're into evolutionary astrology, my south node is in Libra. I was all about partnership in my past life. And in this lifetime, I'm supposed to learn about independence. And so here I keep wanting to have these relationships, but I need to evolve my concept from my past life of what a relationship is, especially in our modern world. You know, I, I have this traditional upbringing, so I'm overcoming my traditional upbringing. You know what I mean? And I'm, I'm seeing the way that relationships relate in the real world. And then everybody around me is, is evolving at the same time too. So we're all in this together. <laughs> totally, totally. And I obviously brought you on to talk about Juno. And if the listeners don't know this yet or haven't realized it yet, Juno is an asteroid that often gets deemed the uh the asteroid goddess that represents marriage um you know juno is is zeus's wife hera in in roman mythology and um oftentimes is you know associated with things like marriage relationships and how those things show up in your chart and denise i would love to know a little bit more about you and having juno in sagittarius and coming from this religious background, you know, Sagittarius can be the sign of like the corrupt priest in, in a shadow side, right? So I would love to know just so we can get to know you a little bit better, like what were you taught about relationships? What were you taught about the person you should quote unquote be with? Because I think that is kind of part of Juno in a way. It's like, our conditioning about how we sh how we should you know go about relationships versus what we actually want you know uh, so tell us more about that hey well and i will tell you juno was a huge turning point you know i've been studying astrology all these years and not everybody gets into juno and i was really focused on the seventh house and we'll get to that later but when i understood what juno was about and its placement in my first house you know your first house is your identity and juno is the marriage partner People always want to marry me. Can I tell you this? They see me as marriage material, right? But I, it's in Sagittarius, am independent. And I also had this huge indoctrination where you save yourself for marriage. So I had no relationship experience. Think yeah. about that. How in the world? You know what I mean? And I had an incident where I was no longer, you know, <laughs> the perfect virgin. So I, because of, you know, my upbringing thought I was damaged goods. And I, I was depressed for about six months. I did not go out. And I was like, I'm, what am I going to do? I just focus on my studies and studies, Sagittarius, right? And then when I met this person who I ended up marrying, um, 
I felt like I appreciated him because he didn't judge me. His, he was from a completely different background. And that's what Sagittarius is, usually the foreigner. His, we only lived an hour and a half away, but he might've been, he might as well have been from the moon because he was raised with totally like chill, hippie parents who were in an open marriage, I found out later. Not, didn't know in the beginning, but you know, it was the seventies, right? He had, you know, hippie parents. I had super locked down, basically retro fifties style parents. So we were just, come, and it gave me such freedom. Like I could forgive myself and he didn't judge me, you know, those kinds of things. So that was, those were the good parts about, you know, about it. But I also had no other experience of, I didn't know how to stand up for myself. I had no emotional skills. I didn't know how to argue. I didn't know how to, you know, all these things that you learn when you are in relationships before, but you come in as a rookie and you jump straight into a marriage and you have a baby. You know what I mean? Like there, there you go. Traditional. Boom. And that's what my mother, my mom jumped right into marriage and a baby right off the bat. So I just was doing exactly what I was programmed to do. Um, but what I have learned from Juno is, is that, um, is, is this expansion. I need to expand my idea of what it means to be in a committed partnership, right? That's what Juno's ruled by Jupiter, expansion, opportunity, all these things. And um, I, I, we, I don't know how much we want to get into this, but in the first house, it also has to do with what your, you know, perception of what your partner would be like. And I always wanted a big, you know, strong <laughs> and I partner and I ended up both of my partnerships with big guys who were at former athletes, you know what I mean? Right. who just had gusto. And I was like, yeah. And then I thought, you know, we were going to travel and see the world. And, you know, my one partner we did, but the other partner was really went more the like coach, like, you know, like to tell people what to do, you know, kind of the, you know, so it was just kind of different manifestations of these 40 types, you know, which is funny. The other funny thing is, is when people see my partners, they're always like, what are you doing with that guy? They, people never think, <laughs> Their perception of me is that I would not be with someone like that. So this is so funny. There's just so many ways to look at the house placement and the Juno placement, like what house and then what sign the placement is and how it all merges together to create this picture of what your partner is going to be, you know, or what you need in a partnership. So. Ooh, this is so juicy. And we'll, <laughs> we'll definitely, for the listeners who are coming along with us on this wild ride, uh, we'll, the second half of the episode, we'll definitely go into more details about your Juno placement and the sign in the house. And Denise and I will riff for five hours about all of that. Um, but maybe it would be helpful because something that you said in your own story reminds me of Juno's story herself. And let's discuss the mythology a little bit. Now, I have to say, out of all the asteroid goddesses, the Juno mythology is something that I don't feel completely well-versed on just because I, I think it might be a reflection of the astrological community as a whole. Uh, when we think of Juno, we're just fed, oh, Juno's Zeus's wife, done. And we don't get into like the details. And I think it's so funny that you have Juno in the first house, your upbringing and meeting your, your husband, you know, feels very Juno, like this innocent person, this naive, innocent person, then partnering with someone and also not only being naive and innocent when it comes to like the physical romantic parts of marriage, but also naive 
to the other parts of marriage that have to do with communication, negotiation, compromise, conflict resolution, team building, like all of that stuff. And I think the Juno mythology does touch on this innocent person now being married to Zeus, who is a very problematic person. No offense, Jupiter. Uh, but tell us a little bit about maybe the story of Juno and what it brings up for you and what it makes you wonder about. I think that's a pretty big question, but I'll throw the ball to you, uh, Denise. <laughs> and I'm with you. I don't know a whole lot about the mythology. Most of what I know is from um, Demetra George's, you know, asteroid goddesses. So I just did a quick review of it. And, you know, they call her the divine consort, which I think is kind of an interesting thing. Because I, of course, come from the modern age and want her to be the equal. I keep leaning toward the Lilith stuff, which is a whole other thing. But she is, like what you said, the perfect wife. She's completely faithful, which is a Juno concept because, you know, Sagittarius is faith, right? Right? So she's faithful to her partner, who is a big, powerful, and notorious philanderer. So maybe <laughs> in the beginning... In the beginning, I think they were probably loyal to each other and they used the container of their, the sacred container of the relationship. And that's what I went into thinking this. Oh, that marriage, because I come from a religion where marriage is a sacrament, it's sacred. And so did she. And a lot of women go into that thinking, okay, I'm in this container with this person. I'm going to do everything I can to keep this going, no matter what happens. And it's interesting in my situation too, my person was a philanderer, but I didn't know. I was super naive. And then what I think that happens in our society is, women are faced with this choice. You either break your sacred marriage bond, you know what I mean? You know, with someone, whatever, because your partner isn't playing by the rules anymore. So you either have to go along with it, you know, this cheating spouse or whatever it is, or break your vow, which is something really hard for people to do. Um, so, but back to the myth, um, you know, she also represents fertility and all those things, you know, and um, she, but she also talked, the big part of her story is the shadow side of infidelity. Of fidelity is when you have when you're faced with infidelity, what do you do? And when I think about the sacred container, the word that comes up is anger because she's got to use anger to defend her sacred container for her family and her her marriage, right? And you know, there's a phrase called hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. And I would say hell hath no fury like any partner scorned. You know what I mean? Any person scorned it's just going to all that beautiful love they have gets completely flipped. And so she, there, there are a lot of retaliation and revenge stories in the Juno myth. And in today's world, I would translate that as like revenge porn because she literally highs Jupiter up and humiliates him in front of everybody. Yeah. You know, and he, Zeus, in, this, in the Greek myth, Zeus shoots lightning bolts at her and thus begins a giant war. And if you've ever seen any long-term relationships where like, especially this happens like in European cultures where the, where the, the, the wife just puts up with the fact that the husband has a mistress. There's this underlying anger all the time. You know what I mean? And what's crazy about what happens when there's a mistress is that you, the wife, become the other woman. You get put in that almost role. You know what I mean? So there's this competition. And so what ends up happening is, is in modern society, all the way back to the beginning of time, there's this triangulation and there's this miss. The anger gets misappropriate toward the other woman. What it should be, both of you should be aiming your lightning bolts at the, you know, at whoever the cheating spouse is. It doesn't matter who it is. Let's take the gender out of it. It's whoever the cheating spouse is. You shouldn't be mad at the person they're cheating with. You should be mad at the 
person is cheating. <laughs> that, oh, this is this is blowing my mind. And also, you know, Juno as just a conversation about the institution of marriage itself. I've been watching a lot of Game of Thrones lately. Ooh. Game of Thrones uh, has been a huge part of my Mars retrograde story in a weird way. And, you know, the way marriage is depicted in Game of Thrones, I think is actually a lot like what we have experienced for many, many, many lifetimes, which is, um, you know, I'm about to be pretty binary in my language here. And obviously we can apply this differently to the 21st century, but we're talking about like Game, game of Thrones time. What is marriage? Marriage is a decision that your parents are kind of making for you in order to either uphold or even increase their political standing. And gender or the perceived gender of people acts as like this bargaining tool. And, you know, I'm not saying anything like completely enlightening. I mean, I'm sure many people have made this point, but, you know, marriage is rooted in this sort of a misogynistic thing where it's like okay the woman is being sold away like she's a prized pig or whatever a possession or like she's the best livestock they have on the farm she's being sold away to maybe a slightly richer family and now she's being traded for some money or she is a dowry or there's always like this exchange of goods and services that go with, um, yeah, the the woman being the sort of uh, object, quote unquote. And then when you get to the institution of marriage, again, I'm talking in like Game of Thrones time, but I think it could still definitely be applied now because we're still working through, I think, a lot of that past life stuff in 2022. But when you get to the the playing field of marriage, now we often do see this Juno Zeus dynamic, not only in heteronormative contexts, okay? As a queer person, I see the Juno-Zeus thing going on in queer queer relationships too. It's like, you know, the sacrificial lamb who is the Juno archetype, you know, being paired with the, yeah, the philanderer, I like your word. And it brings up this bigger question, I think, about even what women or non-binary people, what I'm sure men have sometimes be, been put in this position too, like what is the sacrifice to be in this commitment? Uh, there's safety in marriage because it, it there's privilege in, in being married, but then what is the sacrifice to enter into this safety? Well, now you're, you're, you're at the beckoning call of your husband, you're cleaning the house, you do all the emotional labor with the kids. That's not sexy, you know? Like, so there's so many things that Juno brings up. I wish we talked about her more. Um, I know I just threw a lot at you. Any oh, Anything that's sticking out? Oh, that's fantastic. Well, just to touch on the point of like, not only is it her worth as, you know, just it's it's her worth as as a baby maker. She makes more people for the team. You know what I mean? And you know, so she gives up her freedom, you know, blah, blah, blah. Even in today's society, you know what I mean? Like even fast forward to now, women are starting to inch toward equality, you know, we're educated and all these other things, but 
we still haven't shed that thing of the primary, the majority of that labor goes to whoever the stay at home parent is. You know what I mean? Whether that person produced the child or not, whoever, there's always this sacrifice. Somebody has to take care of the kids or there's two parents, two parents, you know? So there's, there's that aspect, the fertility aspect enriches, if you think about it, you know, um, just, oh my gosh, so many thoughts. Um, the sacrifice, oh, going back to the, the sacrifice is, is that you also are sacrificed that you are this, this, um, sexual safety net. You assume that your person is only going to be with you. Well, in this day and age, your person cheats on you. They could bring home a disease. And this, in every age, this is possible. There are so many, you know, people that for whom their life was threatened because their person was outside the marriage, you know, bringing disease to them. So that's a huge thing in any community, if, you know, in the modern times, you know what I mean? So again, what it really comes down to is this thing about truth, which is what I think is so fascinating about Juno. Juno is about truth, right? She's, mm. you know, you've gone through the Scorpio phase where you've dug out the truth. And then, then in the Sagittarius Jupiter phase, you're spreading that information everywhere. And so it's the, it's the, the breaking of the truth. You know what I mean? It's, it's being dishonest is what causes the rage. You know what I mean? That's the, the, the long-term space-time continuum karmic, because, you know, Juno is, has a lot to do with your karmic karma too. Um, that's the problem. If, if you, if you are lying in your relationship, you are creating a huge karmic uh, debt. Yep. Yep. So think yep. of all these people, you know, who knows in my past life, you know, I've South Node conjunct Jupiter and Pluto. So, you know, who knows what my past life was about, what I'm coming in to learn, who knows, maybe I'm making up my karmic debt now. You know what I'm saying? So there's so many elements when you look at like it, it when people talk about marriage, your marriage partner being your biggest decision, it, it changes your whole life. So that's why I was really into it and why I love to look at Juno and see what what is it that you're getting yourself into? <laughs> yes. Oh, oh, gosh. And, you know, the thing about Juno. So we're talking about Juno in the chart, bringing up themes around marriage, how we've been conditioned to think about marriage our past lives being married and the trauma and the karma that we still carry from that 100%. I mean, you don't believe me. I, I mean, I, I won't force my beliefs on you, but like the amount of married women I talk to about their resentment, about the emotional labor that they have to do in, in marriage and not receiving what they need back. And also I think I'm talking about a heteronormative context, but we could apply this to all contexts, like, uh, you know, another partner having no idea how to fulfill their, their, the emotional needs of their partner, right? So we have that kind of thing going on. Then because Juno was married to Zeus, a notorious playboy, let's say, um, you know, we have this commitment, fidelity, betrayal, subtone, subcategory of Juno and how that may kind of apply to life in some way. Now, I wouldn't be surprised though, if now in the 21st century, it's not to say we can no longer be cheated on. I mean, certainly infidelity unfortunately happens all the time, but now there's this new context called polyamorous ethical non-monogamy. And I would argue that those people who feel like ethical non-monogamy is part of their identity and they have multiple partners, I would still be like interested in seeing their Juno 
because I would think they would have a very strong Juno because in this lifetime, they're rewriting the story of, of what a partnership should look like, quote unquote, and also rewriting the story of um, maybe all my needs cannot get met by one person. This is not me saying, like making a um, a statement about how polyamory is better than monogamy. I think it truly depends the chart and it depends the person. But I think there's also something like that that comes in, you know, which, you know, 100%. And I, and I do see like within the, you know, I'm on the dating apps and I see all these people that are ENM, you know, ethically non-monogamous. The only way that works is if they're a hundred percent truthful, going back to the Sagittarian concept of, you know, the truth, you know, they have to know, you know, or they, or they just make a deal that like, okay, just don't tell me, or it, it, there's parameters set up. There's deal-making. And this is something that also goes all the way back to the genome. It's about power. There is a power dynamic. And I cannot tell you how many guys don't say they're ethically non-monogamous that my, I can't even say non-monogamous um, because really inherently that's what marriage is, is about monogamy in this definition, if we're going to use it, right? I mean, it's evolving. There are open marriages, but I'm just saying typically like back to the myth, it was monogamy was one person, right? Um, how many people don't say they're ethically non-monogamous, but I'll go on a date with someone. They'll be like, oh, well, my best friend, I can, I can tell you three or four people who I'll go down the road, maybe one or two dates. And I realize you really are emotionally involved with this person, either your ex or somebody, whatever, but you're just not having sex with them anymore. So that's what you're looking for in this next thing. You know what I mean? But the whole package is the sex and the emotional fidelity when we go back to this Juno concept. So anyway, just going back to if we would all tell the truth, <laughs> let's just go back. Can we go all the way back to the Bible here? There are two, two <laughs> commandments. One, thou shalt not commit adultery and one shall not covet thy neighbor's spouse. Two different things. Wow. Okay. That is two out of 10. Two yeah. out of 10 are about this thing. So again, it's not like we're reinventing the wheel here. You know what I mean? Like no matter what form it's going to be in modern times, there's right. still this concept of property. There's still this concept. Right. And of, of lying. Yes. It, it's so interesting that, yeah, I think there there's probably many people who have too much unexamined conditioning to really admit to themselves, oh, maybe I am, you know, more uh, polyamorous, ethically non-monogamous, but then it turns into being unethically non-monogamous or, or yeah, you know what I mean? And yeah, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Well, and if I may speak to this point, talking about polyamory and, you know, of course, obviously the Mormons have gotten crap about bigamy for all these years, but there was a, a book that came out in the nineties and I bought a copy for every woman I know. And it was called The Red Tent. And it was about the story of Jacob and he had four wives. Are you familiar with this story? The mm -hmm. big red tent? Okay. And each of those women played a role. You know, one was the person he had babies with. One was the person he ran the business with. One person was like the artist poet for whom he could express his deepest thoughts. And I forgot what the other one, I think one was just like the one who kept everything organized. And if you think about in modern times, we have multiple long-term relationships or serial daters. Each of those people would have been a wife. You can see like in Hollywood back in the day, People got married five, six, seven times because you couldn't date. You could not, you had to marry that person you were dating. You know what I'm saying? So you always wonder like, why these Hollywood, how, why did Elizabeth Taylor get married eight times? Well, in her world, you had to marry the person you're dating. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Now we don't even bother. We're just like serial dating. I've been with this person. Well, I wasn't, so for, in my case, I was married for 10 years. And I dated this other person for 12 years, but I used to say to the person I dated, I'm more married to you in my heart 
than I ever was to the person I was legally married to. It didn't matter what the legal part was. And I've had a way harder time with the second situation than the first one, even though I had kids. You know, yep. it's just all just to do with, you know, what's really going on here? <laughs> so. Yes. And one thing I wanted to say to um, Denise is that like, even if some of the listeners, like they're still grasping the actual mythology of Juno and Zeus and, you know, what that could mean in their chart, I think a really good semi-modern day example uh Demetra George uses her chart all the time uh you know in her asteroid goddess books but Jackie Kennedy has a very strong Juno signature in her chart and in a way Jackie Kennedy does you know marry a Zeus-like figure uh who does have these rumored affairs and you know it with a very prominent uh actress Marilyn Monroe you know and uh-huh. there's something there too about that story if, if some of the listeners are wanting to grasp a more modern thing that we've seen you know play out on the news or whatever like that's something that I feel like is is a good example of, of oh, Juno. that's excellent it's also an excellent example of how she wants to stay connected to the power yeah you know what I mean She's not going to give up her spot. She'll put up with, you know, happy birthday, Mr. President, you know, because she's the queen. You know what I mean? She is Mrs. President. You know what I mean? So again, it goes back to those sacrifices we make emotionally, psychologically, you know, whatever it is to, to keep whatever our Juno concept is in our mind. You know what I mean? You know, of, of who, what kind of partner we are, what kind of partner we want, you know, and, and denial is a huge huge coping mechanism many other things a lot of people just learn to look away yes Uh, so totally totally and you know let's definitely so I think we have good grasp on like the story that the narrative Mm -hmm. of Juno but tell me maybe a little bit more about what you think about when you're sitting down with a client or just looking at anybody's chart even you know we talked about the people that we meet on dating apps being our guinea pigs so we're sitting down with the chart of of a future first date and we're looking at Juno um what do you think Juno really signifies and you made this point too Denise about being a little obsessed with the seventh house which is the house of relationships how do you feel like Juno is kind of different than than the seventh house tell us a little bit more about that well, just to refresh to your viewers, just for those, you know, until I knew about Juno, I was always focused on the seventh house. So the first house is ourself, our rising sign, our first self is ourselves, how we see ourselves, now the world sees us. And then the seventh house is other, and other is committed partnership. So it's very similar to Juno in that, about its commitment. Typically, sometimes people think it's legal, but it's not just romantic partners, it's business partners. I think we can expand this to like best friends. You know, I've seen that in other literature. Um, And I'm even more and more I'm reading about what you know is that, um, and I think this applies to the seventh house, is one-on-one relationships like therapists and clients, you know, teachers and gurus, that kind of one-on-one. That's what we're talking about is yourself and other in 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 an intimate of some sort relationship, especially like with business, you are in it with this person, right? Um, And for example, this I'm very, I very much focus on when I'm talking to someone about their seventh house, the element, because I'm like, that is what really describes your relationship. So for, for me, it's Gemini. So I have an air sign. I need to be able to talk to my partner. Intellectual stimulation is very important. 
It just so happens that my Juno is in the opposite. You know what I mean? Is, is in Sagittarius, is in a fire sign, which actually kind of works, but it has a lot to do with my identity. So I need a smart partner to this gut flows who I can talk about big stuff with. You know what I mean? And go places and do things with. And that echoes both my seventh house and also my Juno. So I'm fortunate that mine kind of goes together. But some people who have, have very wildly different, you know, expectations, you know, for how their partnerships are going to go. The other thing about the seventh house is with that elemental energy is that you look at the mutable, the fixed, and the cardinal, right? Do you have a shake charge relationship? Do you have a changeable relationship? You know, and do you have a fixed or focused relationship? And mine is immutable air sign, right? And it's in Gemini, which is two. Mm-hmm. I've had two very long-term relationships and the quality, the essence of how my, my relationships operate is they were always on, off, on, off. So I always think of Gemini as ACDC current, you know, on, off, on, off, right? Yes. Aquarius would be fixed, right? An Aquarius air sign relationship would be a fixed focus. You'd be devoted, best friends, probably, you know, there might be lightning bolt, like sudden changes in your relationship, but an Aquarius seventh house is pretty much committed. You know what I mean? And then a Libra seventh house, it rules the seventh house, right? You know what I mean? And it's all about balance and fairness and power dynamics and, you know, all those kinds of things. And so it's just so interesting. That's why, that's where you get the, how the, the relationship operates, but in ter- and this is where I made the big switch over to Juno. Juno is the partner. What kind of partner you need and what kind of partner you oftentimes because there's a power dynamic if you don't have it in you you're looking for someone to be help you be that thing so that's there's a power dynamic shift that i don't have quite completely figured out in my life (laughs) but it's in the book it talks about you know in demetra's book about how how we give up our power to our partners stuff that we don't integrate in ourselves we're looking for in someone else so anyway yeah. Did that describe the seventh versus the Juno thing? I don't know if that described it enough, but. Oh, well, something. We can I, keep going. <laughs> well, and maybe I could touch on this considering right now, as we speak, December 8th, we're a day after, you know, the Gemini uh, full moon. It was a little bit of a rocky one. Juno was actually in a T-square with that full moon. So Juno's in Pisces right now. And if we really want to take like the Juno in Pisces kind of higher self kind of approach, I'm thinking about, yeah, like a a a relationship is a power dynamic in a lot of ways. And we could talk about how relationships um, often, you know, have power dynamic issues, whether that be with money or even uh, sexual dynamics. Sure. But Also, something that makes me think, you know, what's underneath power might even be surrender and vulnerability. And when you trust someone and when you say, I need you, you know, like I want you in my life, but I need you in my life, like that is a vulnerable thing. And that is also kind of a surrender of your ego and of your power to say like, okay, my heart is open. I do want a relationship or I do want someone or I do want to be in love or whatever. Like how many of us have a chip on our shoulder and say like, uh, I'm not looking for a relationship or I just want something casual or I, 
don't care about this person like whatever it was just a hookup like yeah I mean that could be true especially depending on your Juno but also like how much of that is us keeping our power and and not surrendering to the vulnerability of of being in union with with another um it, 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 does that make sense Denise oh totally and if I could just take this the next step further as I just want your listeners to know that we are all collectively right now, as of this date, December 8th, all of us are in this dynamic between the sun and Sagittarius as our beliefs, right? Versus the moon and Mars and Gemini. You know, if you think of Gemini, it's facts, right? And do we have the courage, Mars and Gemini, retrograde, you know, whatever, to face the facts, right? So we're in this dynamic, right? In the T-square to Juno, which is our deepest unconscious feelings about relationships, you know, Piscean, right? It's the 12th house, the unconscious, right? So we have this opportunity to face the facts of what our relationships have been like, no matter what house this falls in for you. You know what I mean? There's this T squared to Juno. Everybody is comparing their beliefs and their, you know, the day-to-day, the actuality of their lives, how this works with their unconscious beliefs of how Juno and Pisces works for all of us. And these relationships aren't just marriage, they're friendships, business, pop, you know, you can apply this on a mundane level, you know, is Juno is partnership. So it's just crazy that literally we did not know when you picked this day that there would be this T-square to Juno and it would be so important. I can't tell you, like, I have not heard that many people say that, you know, this full moon, this last full moon of 2022 everybody's been saying, oh, it's conjunct Mars, it's conjunct Mars, it's conjunct Mars, which is true, you know, but also I can't tell you how much relationship stuff has been coming up in my life and in my clients' lives and in my friends' lives. And, for you know, oh my gosh, I feel like there's this huge illumination right now when it comes to how we're showing up in relationships, our com- karmic contracts with, uh, you know, even past life shit. Like I keep talking about past lives, but I, yeah. tr- I truly think that right now it's almost an opportunity to purge a pattern that we may have been repeating for uh, hundreds of years. You know, we don't even, aren't, aren't even conscious of it. And it's like, all right, how do I, um, you know, how do I move past this? Or, you know, for me, uh, something that's been coming up for a while, you know, because we have our, you have your son at 27 Capricorn, my Venus is at 27 Capricorn. So we're both, we both have Pluto kind of sitting on Venus, my Venus and your son. And, Mm -hmm. you know, something for me, that has been like really, really deep wound is my fear of abandonment. You know, I'm so afraid of abandonment. I feel like uh, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's abandoned me, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. mommy issues, daddy issues. Uh, you know, I all of my breakups have kind of been really abrupt endings where I feel abandoned. And, you know, Venus on my, or Pluto on my Venus in the mix with this Juno stuff of this full moon, like, wow, have I really been able to see my abandonment wounds and be able to understand them 
and kind of be able to try to not necessarily fix them, but just understanding, I think, breeds a lot of peace. And uh, and that's been something like you said to me, maybe a couple weeks ago, you said repression is the hardest part. And it really is that vibe right now. Um, any any of your own stuff? Oh, totally. Well, just going back to just exactly what you said, that's why it takes courage to face what you're professing. Per, per, <laughs> courage to, to face what you are repressing. That's what I'm saying about these thoughts and our thought patterns. And going back to this thing with Pluto on your Venus is it's a form of death, right? And Pluto represents death. Pluto's yeah. on my sun. So my ego is, you know what I mean? I've gone through this transformation. My ego, you're going through your values and like in relationship. And what I think is funny, what you said about abandonment is what do we say when someone abruptly cuts us off? It's called ghosting, right? They ghost us. So it is a form of death. It's a, you can't contact this person. They, they block you or whatever it is. That is such a psychic blow. That's so unfair. And this goes back to, again, back to this unfairness with the infidelity and all these other things, cutting someone off from what they thought was going on and then, you know, lying, you know what I mean? That's just not facing the facts. It all is going back to having the courage to face our thoughts and feelings with the moon and Mars and Gemini, you know, right now. So yeah, yeah, it's, whew, it's some deep stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm so glad. <laughs> no wonder I pulled the two of cups this morning. No wonder. Oh, okay. Tell me about the two of cups. Well, the two of cups in the tarot is, is our, our capacity to open our hearts to each other and uh, healing can't happen when uh, our heart chakra is closed because that also means we're not willing to be vulnerable and you know it brings up like the phrases like our secrets are what make us sick and all of that stuff so you know two of cups is like wow the catharsis the catharsis that's going on um, and and yeah I hope that this discussion is is some somehow cathartic to some of our listeners and um what do you think denise are you in the mood to maybe talk a little bit more about when it comes to juno in natal astrology should, sure. should we maybe go through juno in the signs in the houses and kind of riff a little bit and see um see if we can give the listeners some insight as to you know what kind of partner they could be looking for and maybe some subconscious slash conscious, you know, challenges that could arise with relational stuff. Um, and we'll maybe go through the 12 signs slash the houses and we'll try to kind of m meld them together in a way that that makes sense. But we'll see what happens. Oh Oh, that's so perfect. I did want to like just one last little thing to, to, to conclude that conversation about like what's going on right now and how this works in a chart before we get to the natal specifically Please. is um, again, back to how uncanny it is that you pick today. You know what I mean? So in my chart today, right? The sun is in the first house. I'm sad rising and it's on my Juno. Okay. The sun is on my Juno, right? Seventh house of my house of relationships has the moon and Mars, right? All of it is squaring right? Juno and Pisces and Juno and Pisces is exactly on my Venus and Pisces. So I'm saying is when you guys, just to all your listeners out there, take the time to figure this stuff out. You will just understand more and more. And it's on your Saturn in Pisces, right? Right, right. 
the square to your Saturn in Pisces. So you are thinking, I would say, would you say about commitment? What, how would you say that this Mars and moon square with the sun, how is this, how do you feel? Because it's hitting your Saturn. It's hitting my Venus. So it's pretty obvious for me. God. Yeah, I can't. Oh my God, you're calling me out right now. Uh, I'm sorry, but I didn't want to skip this because it's just too pertinent no. to the fact that we're having this conversation today and it's exactly conjuncting your Saturn and my Venus. Well, Ridiculous. I will just give you, I'll give you the tea because it's you and what? you're- our Junos are conjunct and our Mercuries are conjunct. So I just have no choice but to spill my guts to you. But there's there's an honesty I feel like I can really have with you. But, um, you know, speaking of fear of abandonment <laughs> right now, you know, I recently ran in to um, recently have gone on a handful of dates with this girl. And I just really, really like her, like haven't felt this way about someone in a while. Um, however, uh, there's already a timeline that's presented with this dynamic because she is going to be leaving Chicago to go to school and travel in the next like four to six months or whatever. So I'm at the crossroads right now with my abandonment issues. Like I'm like, all right, this is already going to end in a way where I feel abandoned, but but does it have to end like that? Like, is this the opportunity to change the story? Because we've been conditioned to think, okay, if a relationship isn't leading to something super long-term or marriage, it's not worth it. You're cheating yourself. You're not valuing yourself, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, but what if, what if the shorter term relationship with the right amount of communication and vulnerability um, could be really healing and what if eventually this is the person that, am I going to end up with them really long-term? No, probably not. But um, what if we can go from relationship and transition into friendship? And this is the first time that I could have a relationship story where it ends, but it doesn't result in abandonment, you know? And, and that's been a huge thing that I've been marinating on now granted stay tuned listeners because I'm <laughs> I might just cut it off now <laughs> you know like I might just be like nope not worth the grief not worth the pain of really you know giving myself to this this thing that isn't going to be long term uh but I don't know so that's that's actually my Juno story right now that is amazing and everyone has a Juno story right now too and what I think is what we're talking about is the consciousness level. You are consciously talking about, you know, there's going to be a change to however many months down the road. How can you consciously navigate your relationship at a distance? And you, but your eyes are open. It's not like it's just hitting you. You know what I mean? Like you're not being naive. You are consciously choosing this. And this is what they talked about with the Pluto and Libra generation. This is where conscious uncoupling came in. You know what I mean? When if Paltrow was a Libra, is it funny? And she's like the person we say coin that phrase. So, you know, we have to remember that we're in the context of all this. You know what I mean? Of like the context of this relationship. In your 20s, and that's what's so hard is in your 20s, there's so much development that has to happen. How could you not give people the space to grow as people? But that's what happened. People got clamped down early and couldn't grow. So I think that's the beauty, even though this is hard and this is a step, probably a stepping stone lesson for you it's going to help you get to that next level when you are ready and the other person's ready. Yes. For the commitment. And by the way, why are, why is the divorce rate 
what is it like over 50 percent because so many fucking people are getting married before their Saturn return that's exactly it thank you friend <laughs> but no one tells you that no one you know we it's yes yes yeah yeah guys you we know that yeah we no. think it's common knowledge astrologers know I tell everyone but you know yeah what, no what exactly you know your childhood was terrible because your parents got married before their Saturn return no I'm kidding <laughs> oh a hundred percent yes yes exactly you know and I repeated it you know and everything so yes yes <laughs> um yes. but uh yeah, yeah yeah so so uh what how no, you spilled the tea down now Denise you tell oh, us well I'm just saying is that you know I've wrapped up this other relationship and what I'm saying is this is an opportunity for me to repattern my thinking you know what I mean? Is that like going forward, I've been totally like anti-relationship. Well, now I'm like, Denise, come on. You know what I mean? Like, well, come can on. I, can I you call know? you out for a second? I want to put you on blast because guys, Denise has been doing a lot of like recovering Catholic things lately because she's a relationship astrologer. She's recently been opening up to like where she actually wants to do astrology events and readings. And you've been visiting like sex toy shops and lingerie shops and feeling very liberated with like, how do I want to practice astrology and who do I want to talk to? And um, that feels Juno in a way. What do you think? And tying it together. That's funny. Like I know I'm doing that, but I didn't even put that in with my, okay. So, you know, like I said, I feel like I have this mission that we suffer the most in our intimate relationships and people are always, because I've been in the dating world, always ask about chemistry. So I'm like, that's it. I'm going to talk, break this down. And I gave a talk in a feminist sex store uh, a while back at, about Mars and Venus. And we had 90 people sign up and 40 people show up. People are hungry for this information. Yes. They want to understand themselves and why, you know, obviously sex is just one piece of the pie in a relationship, but it's a very powerful, going back to the power dynamic, sexual dynamics, power dynamic. And I'm like, let's just cut to the chase. And of course I'm going to cut to the chase because, you know, I'm Mars and Scorpio. I want to get to the heart of this matter, right? I want to get to the heart of what is going on with people. And if you understand what your sexual needs are. So to me, I'm like on this mission, like everybody, please understand what your Mars is so that you can tell your partner what you need. So at least that part to me, sex is the glue of your relationship. It's where you're the most vulnerable. It's where the most pain comes from if it doesn't connect correctly, you know, and that you'll give your person the freedom to go if it doesn't click, you know, why would you imprison somebody the rest of their, because of a legal agreement when this most essential part of yourself can't be expressed. So anyway, I thought, well, what's the best way to get to people? And I'm like, well, people go to sex stores, you know what I mean? For, you know, sex toy shops to enhance their pleasure in that department. And they do sex ed, you know, um, uh, events to help people understand their sexuality better. So, um, so yeah, so yes, I did part of our mentorship group. You guys encouraged me to go ahead and, and where I live now to go around and talk to the stores. I left my car in a couple of places, but I do think um, eventually when I get settled into my practice, that is gonna be an ongoing part of what I feel is like almost community service. <laughs> like let's find a way to connect with people in the normal world who aren't typically into astrology, help them understand that there's another way to look at this energy that they carry and how you connect with your partner, so. Yes. Oh, I love it. I love it. This was so good. I, I just, I needed this conversation. I, I really did. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Thanks. Thanks, Denise. So what do you think? Should we dive into the, the circle, it. the circle, the Zodiac? Do we want to start with Aries or is that yeah. too? Yeah. Let's, 
let's start. Okay, so we'll talk vaguely about Juno in Aries and then also the first house because it's not to say the signs in the houses are exactly the same, but maybe similar vibes. And right. if you don't know where Juno is in your chart, mm-hmm. uh, I know for a fact that you can click the asteroid on um, astro-charts.com when you when you look up your chart there you can turn on the asteroids and you can turn on juno and juno is the asteroid that looks like a little asterisk and then has the stick like so i don't if that's it do you have I a think it's like a sparkler like like a fourth of july sparkler it's got the little it's almost like a flower it's got the spray like you know with the line or whatever and you said right the stick that holds yes it down. so, so that's great. Yeah. T- take note of where the sparkler symbol is in your chart because that's Juno. Take note of the sign. Take note of the house. And if you are a little bit more of an advanced astrologer, take note of the um, the aspects. You know, do you notice that Juno is on the exact degree of your moon? You know, do you notice that Juno is exactly opposite your Venus? And just start writing these things down and and collecting collecting some data yeah, yeah particularly if there's a planet conjunct your your juno it totally informs it especially and then we haven't even gotten to the composite chart but in the composite chart in your relationship you can see where you both think of your marriage together and if it's conjunct any so i mean this can go on and on and on how deep juno can keep informing you so but let's get to the basics yes yes well yeah we'll start, yeah. We'll start with the basics okay so juno and aries let's uh I'm getting a vibe of, you know, Aries being the keyword I am, um, you know, Juno and Aries having a little bit of a, maybe a juxtaposition between, uh, I want to commit, but does commitment mean that I lose my independence? And is there such a thing as committing while also maintaining all of the independent time that I need um that's kind of what I get from Juno and Aries what do you think uh right and then just to if we'll just go ahead and apply you know the element and the modality you know it is a cardinal fire sign Juno has the need to hunt you know it has the need it wants to be inspired there's always it likes challenges it's martial because it's ruled by Mars right so imagine you're going to need a partner you can spar with. You need a partner who can be intense. You need a partner who can run at your same level, you know? So there is a Martian quality to your marriage relationship. You need somebody who can hang tight with you, you know? So, and like you said, the position of the first house is self and then the seventh house is other. So it's really opposite. You know, when you have Juno and Aries, you're really looking out for yourself. Partnership isn't really the first thing on your on your mind. So you have to, you would have to have a partner that would allow you to still be yourself and independent, you know. Yes. And I also kind of feel like I, I'm not saying that Juno and Aries, if that they're like inherently non-committal or inherently in uh cheaters or something like that. But I do think for some reason I feel called to say this, like. If you're a Juno in Aries and you are always finding yourself like kind of doing some shady stuff or just feeling like really plasmic or like really like kind of held, controlled by a relationship dynamic, like maybe it's not so much about 
relationships themselves, but maybe it's like the people who really want to control you. And would that be different if your partner gave you, you know, some more freedom? Right, right. Exactly. That's the key to all of this is understanding where your partner's coming from too. So very good. One thing that's Juno and Aries, right? As opposed to Juno in the first house, correct? Yes, yes. And I will say now going into Juno in the first house, um, a little bit different, like you said, because first house, seventh house are so connected, but I do know someone who has Juno in the first house, literally never, ever, ever single, like, uh, like never single, uh, always, always, always partnered. So, and kind of like what you said, Denise, about that's not you, but how you said early in life, like you're, you considered your identity to be the partner, um, you know, especially in your marriage, like, you know, that feels to me like, how is partnership intertwined in the identity? Right. Well, and it's interesting because I, I wasn't somebody who dreamed about getting married. I didn't ever want to. It looked like a lot of work to me. However, in partnership, it, it was important to me to be seen as a good partner because it has to do with myself, my identity. I was the best. I should have been in PR. I mean, I was the perfect wife. I was Juno. I was the perfect wife. Cause I'm like, I'll be damned if I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. You know what I mean? Like, so it had a lot to do with my perception of myself. I perceived myself as a good partner. You know what I mean? And, and it was important to my identity. And then, and then you and I talked about this, the par- partners I picked people around me were like, didn't see me with these people. They're like, they're like, I, you know, these people you pick don't seem like the type you would be with, but they don't understand my psychology and they don't understand my astrology that, you know, I picked these sporty Jupiterian athletic dudes, big, big Jupiterian dudes each time. You know what I mean? Now, how crazy is that? But I have, you know, Juno in Sagittarius. I like big people. <laughs> yes. Oh so anyway, my- but people's perception of me was like, oh, I wouldn't think you'd be with someone like that. Yes. So anyway, Juno in the first house is perception, right? Identity, how you see yourself and how you, who you see yourself with, whether other people see that or not. So. Okay. Okay. Love it. Okay. Should we go to Taurus and second house? Yeah. And I want to just go back to your person who's never single. That person who has Juno in the first house needs to be partnered. That's the way they see themselves. You know what I mean? They don't, even though it's an Aries first house, I don't know what their Juno is, but they always need, they're always more comfortable in a partnership than being by themselves. So totally, totally. Yeah. And that person that I had the example for, she actually is Juno in Libra. So it's, oh, it's well, then there you go. Yeah. That's yeah. a perfect yeah. example. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's do, okay. So Juno in Taurus, what's your, what's your kind of gut, gut feeling about Juno? Well, and I have a friend who has Juno in Taurus. So I've watched her. She's been married twice. She wants stability. Okay. She wants all the luxuries. Yes. She's, an, she's my artist friend I was telling you about. And talk about like whatever. Her Juno is um, in Taurus and the ninth house conjunct Saturn. Okay, but let's just go back to just Juno in Taurus. She was married to a stockbroker. And then she was married. And people are like, you're an artist. You're married to a stockbroker. Yeah. Then the next person, she was married to a mechanic, but he came from family money in a big, big, nice house. So she, you know what I mean? So, and both of them, and this is going back to like what the partner looks like. Both of her guys, even though they were water signs, looked like Tauruses. They were short, stocky, kind of bullish looking, kind of, kind of you know what I mean? Like, it's oh, so yeah. funny. She picked Taurus partners. They're like short, seventh house the short is, king vibe. The short king vibe. She did. And her seventh house is in uh, Pisces. So she married a Pisces the first time. She married a Scorpio the second time. So she got 
water sign energy, but she got the Taurus vibe because they had money. They were stable, stable. They liked that she was an artist. You know, she helped fulfill something for them. You know what I mean? But she, the Taurus vibe wants all the luxury and the stability and the tradition. I was like, why are you getting married again? She wants that tradition. She wants that bottom line. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. I think of, um, uh, with, you know, who's coming to mind. Are you a real housewives fan? Uh, I've not watched it. Oh, no. Okay. Okay. There's, there's some real housewife fans listening. I know, uh, but Teresa Judice from real housewives of New Jersey recently got remarried and her wedding was so elaborate for a second marriage, but it kind of reminds me of that vibe. Like, like, okay, no, like I want the tradition. I want the white dress, um, et cetera, et cetera. Also, something comes to mind. Now, this is more Juno in the second house, but it could apply to Juno in Taurus too. Being attracted to people with ambition, being attracted to like the entrepreneurial kind of uh, visionary, like someone who has a plan or someone who literally does own a business or has some sort of, yeah, greater ambition. I feel like the lack of passion would probably be a turnoff for Juno in, in the second house, because it's like, man, like, what are you living your life for? Like, you don't have anything going on with, for yourself. Oh, exactly. And, you know, when you think of it, Taurus is ruled by Venus. They want the finer things. They want the love, the romance, the food, the the clothes, the, the house, the everything. And the second house is your emotional and financial resources. And people are emotionally secure when they have, when they're financially secure, usually. Usually that goes hand in hand. So she needs security. Or most people with the Juno and Taurus want a secure a partner they can count on. Yes, yes. Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile, yeah. with Jupiter and Sag, I'm like, I'm Uh-oh. like, is I'm yours like, in the second house? My, oh, no, mine's in the sixth house. Oh, uh, okay. But but yeah, I'm like can't relate. Like I would, I, I'm like the finance bros, the tech bros. It just doesn't. It can't. We should do a chart with like the modern day, like what the those people look like in modern society. We'll have to figure it out. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm yeah. like financial stability. Ew. <laughs> Let's go. That's to Guam. That's boring. And that's yeah. the other thing. Back to this kind of boring, unexciting. That's you know? boring. Yes. And yes. Yes. Exactly. Um. So this could. This is guys. This is my South Node in Taurus speaking. Sorry. <laughs> Because you've been there, done that in your past life. You're ready for the deep, intense stuff in this lifetime with your North Node Scorpio. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, okay, so Gemini. Um, Juno in Gemini. I kind of feel like this is, um, you know, we're meeting in a coffee shop or we're meeting in like a serendipitous way or we grab the same book at the bookstore. Like there's some kind of... In- immediate intellectual connection and really for Juno in Gemini the mind is the greatest sex organ you know like is the greatest turn on and I'm thinking about what it truly means to be attracted to someone's mind um that's how I feel about Juno in Gemini but you also mentioned Gemini being the sign of the twins twos I wonder if yeah a lot of Juno and Gemini's maybe they have two really significant relationships or maybe there is some interesting dynamics there with like polyamory I don't know 
the, yeah. the one person that I know who's Juno and Gemini is exploring her sexuality and, and thinks she's been bi this whole time. There is a duality. There's a dual nature to this. And I'm not saying that this person is a liar or, or, or you know, but I'm just saying it's like, there's sort of this devil's advocate, you know, kind of thing going on when there's Gem, you know, like always considering the other tournament, you know, you know, alternate, you know, there's two sides to every coin. They're the same coin, but it's two sides to every coin. So kind of an interesting thing, but, but, but the intellect is the key. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And the third house, a third house, Juno, um, I, I also associate the third house as like the house of the mind and the house of the narratives that we carry. I mean, the third house can also have to do with like local community. And um, maybe if you have Juno in the third house, maybe you're more likely to like marry your high school sweetheart or marry someone from your hometown or something along those lines. Totally with you like that. I think there were people maybe later in life come back to a class reunion and they find their person, you know, that kind of that kind of stuff. But I also think, you know, this when we do uh, composite charts, wherever you have the sun has to do a lot with what's going on. And I do know that uh, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston had a son in the third house and they were very much ran in the same social circles in Hollywood. So the timing of their relationship. So I'm going, adding that to the third house, having Juno in the third house is you want somebody in that same world that you live in. Small world, not, I mean, sure they traveled and they did all this other stuff, but they, they were in a tight social circle of the A-list celebrities. You know what I'm saying? So not everybody can do that. Yes, yes, totally, totally. That that makes a lot of sense. Like, I would be interested in doing a little bit of a study. Like if you reconnected with a love interest at like a school reunion or a hometown Christmas party or something and you know like do do you have Juno in the third house? (laughs) And especially now with Mars in Gemini retrograde for seven months, how many people I have talked to have reconnected with somebody from their past? Because people always think it's just Mercury in retrograde, but you know, Mars too. So they really might be hooking up with somebody. <laughs> right, right, literally. Know, literally. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. no, I, I agree. Um, and then I'm trying to think, okay, so with Juno, the next one is Juno in Cancer. Okay, so... Mm-hmm. Juno in Cancer. Um, I've had a significant relationship with a Juno in Cancer, and they were very much like serial monogamous, like really, um, I think, looking for that more emotional, like motherly kind of connection, the nurturer, someone who could care for them. But also I could see how Juno in Cancer could be someone who has a shadow side of of maybe caring or like doting on their partner too much or like becoming their mother and you know smothering a little smother smothering yeah yeah, the smothering mothering uh kind of thing um with Juno and cancer uh but also I will say that I feel like with that specific Juno and cancer person I dated there was definitely like a fear of intimacy there. And I wonder if that's because the emotions ran like so deep, if it was like, okay, like I can't surrender to these emotions or I, I can't necessarily feel all of this at once if I don't entirely trust this person, you know, um, what do you get from Juno and Cancer? I, I agree with you totally. And again, this has to do with the fourth house is emotional security. It's a very 
foundation of your chart. And so Juno and Cancer very much relates to that. They are always about emotional security. That's number one to them. You know what I mean? Can they trust you? Can they? And they're always nurturing and encouraging to keep that bond going. You know, they, they take the lead. Talk, you know, we talk about Aries being the hunter. Cancer is the emotional one. They're going after you. They're always going to want to know your emotions. They're always going to want to stay emotionally connected. Oh, so. yes. And this Juno in Cancer person, you know, huge, huge issue with staying reconnected with their exes like the exes never went away there was always this emotional connection there which also ultimately kind of led to the the ending of of the connection between me and them because I'm a Venus in Capricorn and I'm like you're like boundaries <laughs> yeah I'm like if it's done it's done man like let's let's cut this off but um, yeah, so maybe that could be a, another shadow of a Juno, Juno and Cancer or Juno and Water in general. Right. Maybe like, you know, sometimes a little bit too connected to the past at times or, or whatnot. Um, yeah, because it's always flowing. Water never stops flowing. You know what I mean? That's yeah. the thing about water. That's why it's so important to get to the elemental part of these, you know, signatures yeah. because, yeah. you know, that informs everything. So, Yeah. Do you think with Juno in the fourth house now, like, is this, is this, are we going to go as literal, literal as uh, you're marrying someone who's like a real estate broker or something? <laughs> well, and how setting up a home, no matter what kind of home it is. Oh, good. It doesn't matter if it's a yurt or if it's, you know, an Airstream trailer or, you know, a mansion, you know, you want a home and home is where the heart is. Right. You know, like I said, I was more married to my person in my heart. That person I think of no matter where they live is, is, has my heart. You know what I mean? Like it's, but I am all water. So anyway, but anyway, go on. But yeah. So yeah. that thing about the security thing, Juno in the fourth house, oof, you know, and then not going to, you got to go there. Those are the parental houses, fourth and 10th. So perhaps the partner reminds you of a parent. You never know. And it could be either parent. You know what I mean? So there's something parental, like you said, the nurturing, the mothering, you know, in the right. I'm thinking also about how, um, yeah, Juno in the fourth house. I mean, inheritance is also an eighth house thing, but I wonder if like, you know, for whatever reason they live in their, the house that they inherited from their parents or um, like there's something about ancestral property or something along those lines that comes through that now you live on their ancestors' land, there's something. That's pretty cool. Well, and also your emotional inheritance, generational trauma, that kind of stuff, that's all in the basement of your chart. You know what I mean? Plug it in. So you better get to, I would say to anybody who's dating someone with Juno in the fourth house, make sure you know all about their family. (laughs) (laughs) Or you plug into that. (laughs) Oh yeah, there might be, oh, you're right. There might be an especially a feeling of Jesus Christ. Like you're married to the person, you're married to their family. Like that might be especially true. Oh, totally, totally. My my first partner was Venus in Cancer and he literally lives with his mom and grandma now. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's Venus in Cancer, not Juno. But I'm just saying that you get this thing. You can use these things. If you're trying to, if you're just now starting to learn Juno, you can understand what Venus means. You can understand what Pisces, you'd understand all these things and apply them, so- Totally. Okay. So fifth house, Juno, we've got the Juno in Leo. Um, I I don't know. I'm thinking like a hype, like the hype man, like this is (laughs) who really needs their, their person to support them. Like they need, if this person um, has a partner, 
and let's say they have um, a dance recital or an art show or a presentation at work, like they want their partner to show exactly. up for that. Yeah. yeah, Juno and Leo. I mean, the, if you have Juno and Leo, you want your partner to be a star and reflect as you need a good looking, beautiful dining. You know, you know what I mean? You, you, they need to make you look good. Your partner. Yes. You know what I mean? You know? And yeah. So that's I, the thing. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I can kind of understand that as like a Mars and Leo um, as like, I, I want, not that I want my partner to like be this like uh, ultra attractive person, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't mind the feeling of like walking down the street, holding hands with someone cute, like, you know, like that, that feels good to me. (laughs) Well, and then, you know, and then just let's be literal, like somebody that's radiant, somebody that's, you know, um, his star power, who's attractive, magnetizing, you know, passionate and devoted because, you know, Leo's fixed. Once they got their eye on you, you know what I'm saying? So you're wanting that devoted passion from your partner. Yeah. Truly someone who, um, what does Lady Gaga say? Uh, She's like, oh, there could be a million people in the room, but all you need is one. Like, I'm butchering that. I remember that quote too. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You know, the, that movie star that Lady Gaga was in with yeah, the stars Cooper. born uh-huh yeah that's very Juno and Leo uh because you know they both are seeing each other's star power yeah oh it's huge and talk again back to the power dynamic you know yeah. once one left in, one was a one was a dying star one was a rising star you know and this little this transfer of power like you know and uh now that I think about it, Lady Gaga must have a pretty strong Juno because her other her other movie about um, the Gucci Gucci House of Gucci or whatever same thing. She played this wife, but was like the main character and the family dynamics and the power and you know killing yeah. her husband. And I hate to spoiler alert, but <laughs> yeah, well, this, I know way too much about this, but you know. She was dating, she was engaged to a Capricorn when she was doing that movie and they broke up and she, and her leading man in A Star is Born was Bradley Cooper, who was a Capricorn. So she's got this Capricorn energy. So I forget, I would be, we should go look it up, but it'd be funny to see if she has Juno and Capricorn. Yeah, it, it totally is. Again, because I said, it's not just who you marry, it's who you are deeply connected to. You teach your parent, you know, whatever it is, you know. So with, with Juno, okay. So that's Juno and Leo, but Juno in the fifth house, are we thinking, well, it's married, married or partnered with an artist, a creative, a dancer, a musician, um, you know, someone who has a lot of, uh, uh, creative potential, a writer, also potentially someone who really wants to have your babies. That's exactly it. Somebody wants to have kids because kids are creations, right? Yeah. And that for them, it'd be very rewarding you know, to, and that is a perfect Juno container because Juno was about fertility. So Juno in the fifth house is happy. They can do their creative fertility thing there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Container. Uh, I would be interested though, like in the sense of if anybody has this, like Juno in the fifth house with like, uh, I don't know, like square to Pluto or conjunct the South node, or there's some harder aspect to Juno in the fifth house I'd be interested to see if there were like complicated 
a complicated relationship to becoming a parent or maybe some challenges when it comes to being a parent or whatever. I would be interested to see that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, what's next? Six. Sixth house. sixth house. Okay. All right. So I have Juno in the sixth house, uh, but let me, I'll let you speak on that first, Denise. Okay. Well, so I, I guess we're going to start with Juno and Virgo, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, the, you know, Juno and Virgo, it's earth sign, it's ruled by Mercury, right? So again, you want someone who, you know, you're looking for a partner who you can be practical, somebody you can strategize with. The sixth house, if we're going to talk about what Virgo rules is, you know, the day to day, you want someone who's just right in there with you who is part of you, has the same habits as you, the same rituals, the same patterns, you know, um, you know, joking about when you have, I mean, not that Juno and Virgo is a slave, but I mean, you know, they want to serve their partner. They want yeah. someone, sometimes they might go for someone who needs their help. I'm not saying it's codependent, but they might go for someone who, who needs them because they want to be needed, you know, so. Totally, totally. Um, I, I agree. I think uh, for me, with Juno in the sixth house, like my main love language is definitely quality time. So, and it's not necessarily like, oh, I need this big extravagant date uh, planned every night, but it's more like, um, you know, invite me to go to the grocery store with you or or invite yeah, me to run. That can be so romantic. That's a perfect right. Juno in the sixth house thing. Let's go do our day-to-day -day stuff together, you know, yeah. together. It, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And uh, I'm thinking with Juno in Virgo, you're right, Virgo is the healer archetype. So maybe a little bit careful, being careful with, um, you know, partnering with people who maybe you are attracted to your potential to change them or your, you know, potential to heal them. And that could go wrong in some ways, but at the same time, Juno and Virgo could be um, a relationship that is mutually focused on, on health and well-being. And maybe you both are getting healthier together or doing a juice cleanse together, or I don't know, like doing some kind of exercise together or yeah. something like that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, we kind of also talked about, you know, having Juno in the six is that, you know, if we use this concept of being committed or married, what are you married to? Because there are people, we talked about this who don't, it's funny because Virgo's the side of the bachelor. What if you're never going to get married? What if you don't want to get married? What does Juno represent then? It's like what you're married to. And sometimes if there's Juno in the sixth house, you might be married to your work and the service that you're providing. And it's funny going back to all the way to the first house, I was thinking about how I never wanted to get married and I would married myself, right? Mm -hmm. I should, you know, really that's a first house thing. So a sixth house thing would be like, maybe you're married to your work. Maybe you're married to yourself. Maybe you're married to, you know, whatever else, you know, all these different things. If you go around the chart, if, if you don't put it in terms of a person, what would you be married to? Oh, 100%. I'm 100% married to my work. And if someone, if a partner seems like they don't understand my work or doesn't, or thinks it's like silly or frivolous or just like, oh, see that she's doing her astrology stuff. Like, it's like immediate no for me. I'm like, no, you don't see that this is like a service for me. This is like a spiritual devotion. You you need to know that, you know, this is my first and foremost partner 
and now you're in a relationship with both me and me, you and astrology. me and astrology and uh, that can be a lot uh, which is why I'm thinking I need to marry eventually another astrologer <laughs> yes I know well okay and I'm really glad we brought up this point because people will say if you have Gino in the 10th house you're married to your career but you put the point on this this is more than a career to you this is your vocation this is your your service how you how you I don't, I don't forget you know just how you are operating in the world I mean this is what you do you're giving back this is your purpose yes yes, so, yes. exactly okay Juno in the seventh house feels kind of obvious but maybe there's a shadow side with that because yeah now we're thinking Juno in the seventh house Juno and Libra not that they're entirely the same thing but yeah. there's definitely uh, a shadow side to maybe um the desire for partnership not that that is an inherently bad thing because i think humans we we are psycho spiritual social animals we need relationships but i do wonder yeah juno in the seventh house um you know how much of your time is spent in relationships and and how many of those relationships are actually aligned or if it's just being in a relationship for the sake of wanting to be in a relationship because that's your comfort zone. Uh, But tell us, Denise, a little bit about, yeah, Juno in Libra, like the partner that might be attracted. Well, it's interesting, just going back to the house and the Juno and Libra, you know, never not having, never not having a partner because Libra is the only inanimate sign in the Zodiac. And in order to feel human, they have to have their counterbalance. Oh, good. Point. So you can't really fault Juno, Juno seventh house. You know what I mean? Like you need a partner. That's it. <laughs> you are seen as one half of the other. But going back to Juno and Libra, I think, let's go back to what rules Libra is Venus. They need a beautiful partner. They need a gracious partner. They need someone who is socially adaptable. They need somebody who's fair. You know, I think of like George Clooney. I don't know what his thing is. But when you look at Amal, she's a lawyer for God's sake. She's a Libra. You know what I mean? Like she is, he got, I don't know what his is, but I'm just like, that's who I think of when I think of a Juno and Libra partner is Amal Clooney. She like embodies all the Libra stuff. You know what I mean? Oh, totally. All that stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I'm thinking about maybe with the lesson in Juno and Libra is like, this is what I'm finding with a lot of Libra placements um, that I've been talking to lately, like the the sort of talent or skill to harmonize other things, other people, other situations being also sometimes a disharmoning, disharmonizing thing to yourself. So like yes. if you're trying to break up a fight and then you break it up, but in, in the, in the, uh, sort of journey of it all you get punched in the face and now you have a black eye oh my gosh well i have something to say about this because if you're always trying to keep the peace guess what happens you create resentment that's the shadow side okay and guess who knows this totally because her south node is in libra in all these past lives i kept my mouth shut in this life i'm sticking up for myself you know like so again going back to these you just look at everything all these different parts of your chart so i understand that about the shadow side of a peacemaker or harmony at all, at all costs. Oh right? yeah. My, my mom conflict is, just puts the conflict down the road further. Oh, you definitely. Know? You know, yeah. my, my fourth house is in Libra. 
My mom needs every single dust particle harmonized in the home, totally grew up in the house where nobody was allowed over unless it was completely spotless. And, you know, she has a huge, huge problem with the amount of resentment she carries. And she just, I mean, it's, it's horrible. I I don't, and you know, it's because she needs to harmonize everything and quote unquote, no one's helping her enough or no one's, or everybody's messing up her harmonization, you know, which is, which is kind of this Libra thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Oh, there's so much. There is a lot. We Uh, can talk all day on each one of these placements. We it's really just so hard can. to just do short shrift on them, but we'll we'll keep going. We're getting yeah, there. Okay, sorry guys. We'll we'll keep going. Well, we're we're doing okay. We're not quite. I think a- we're doing good. And this was the most important one. The seventh house and Libra is all about partnership. We're talking about Juno. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So now we have Juno in Scorpio. Yes. What are we feeling with this one, Denise? This emotion, this intense emotional fixed connection. You know, right? And it's. The depths, right? The peak experiences. They want somebody they can go there with that, you know, that'll go to literally hell and back with them. Um, and if I just may point out, there's a very famous couple who the man has Juno and Scorpio and the woman has Juno and Libra. And that is Kim and Kanye. Kanye has Juno and Scorpio. He's intense. He's emotional. He's got his issues. You know what I mean? And he is taking her to hell and back. And she's like, oh, hell no. You know, Juno and Libra, she wants harmony. She's all about beauty. She's Libra. And her partner, she can't handle this anymore. She cannot balance. This is not going to work. Totally. Kanye showing like the very, very shadowy side of like Scorpio, Juno and Scorpio, which is like emotional manipulation, emotional abuse when you can no longer control your partner. That's exact control. He wants to control her. He wanted to control her in relationship. He stalks her, the stuff he said. I mean, it, that is the shadow side. You exactly put your finger on it. So, but the good side is somebody who can completely enmesh and mold, you know, merge with that. I mean, that is where marriage actually takes place. The legal part takes place in the seventh house the merging of your finances, your sexuality, and all of that. And so they say that Juno really has so much to do with Libra and Scorpio, the Libra and Scorpio houses, that it's, 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 as much as you know about Libra and Scorpio will inform your Juno. So they're very, oh, the things are very similar. I love that point. Um, and, you know, Juno in the eighth house, I'm thinking there are some ties with Juno in the fourth house, like maybe your partner has inherited some, some, maybe your partner has a daddy Warbucks, has inherited some money. Maybe your partner has some kind of real estate or something that they, they are kind of uh, receiving in this lifetime. However, I think Juno in the eighth house could be maybe even sometimes the opposite. My partner has a lot of difficulties with money and now they're in a lot of debt. And I don't know how to partner with them because in order to combine resources with them, then that puts me in debt, you know, and, and I don't know, maybe there's some kind of debt thing, or maybe there's a partner that was previously married and now they're going through a divorce and you want to be with them, but they have so much child support. So you guys can't buy a house together. You know, this is an everyday example that I hear about in clients. So I'm wondering about that and Juno in the eighth house. Yeah, that you'd be willing to take on your partner's issues. You know yeah. what I mean? Because you're, you you do marry their issues and their karma. That's yeah. another thing. Yeah. So that's, a, you know, the eighth house is death too. You know, so like, you know, this this whole concept of all of it together is like, you yeah. yeah. The whole two death do us part, I think it's the Scorpio part. <laughs> totally. Because they are ride or die. They want that ride or die relationship. 
you know, yeah. and that might be one where the person struggles, whether they're unhappy or not with the power dynamic because power and control is a big eighth house thing. So, yeah, in a higher one, one tiny, tiny thing in a higher frequency, I wonder about like the sexual healing and the sexual exploration that can go along with either having Juno in Scorpio or having a partner with Juno in Scorpio, like the sense of um, transmuting sexual shame into sexual pleasure. The ability to explore taboos together. There is a freedom in that, yep. you know, too. They're fearless in some ways. They're going to go there. They're going to dig it out of you. You know yep. what I mean? Like there's, <laughs> so no, I'm with you. I'm not, a, I actually love the eighth house because I'm more oh. Scorpio. I love the eighth house. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm a uh, eighth house moon. Uh, when you put, oh, totally, you know, you know this. I know. Okay. Ninth house stuff. Yeah. So this is Juno and Sag. So we both have Juno and Sag. So we can probably speak to this. Um, I will say Juno and Sag for me is um, in a very literal way. Like I am literally looking for who wants to travel the world with me. Um, who is going to be my travel buddy? I will likely, I, I can't, I'm not God. I can't predict everything, but I, I will likely trade having a traditional family with children for the for just being able to travel more freely um so yeah who will travel with me also Juno and Sag if you don't have a spiritual practice or you're not spiritually working on yourself in some way it's kind of a turnoff to me I'm like okay like what do you even I don't know what do you think about that Denise oh my gosh I can't believe you put your finger on that because I'm always thinking that way. My, I'm always thinking metaphysical. I'm always thinking big worldly thoughts. It, and I always, of course, I want adventure and I want exploration, Men, emotional, mental, and physical exploration. I want to do all of it. And my first partner, which is kind of crazy because we have Juno in our composite chart in the ninth house. And I met him in college. Okay. <laughs> His family expanded my world, but he was really sprung down. And I just, he was an atheist. He just, everything was like, it is what it is, you know, whatever. Whereas my second partner was very spiritual. We were very connected. We read, read each other's minds. And that is what kept that going it, over distance and time. We had a long distance relationship. So, you know what I'm saying? I was willing as a, you know, and say, I should have a long distance relationship if I was emotionally and spiritually connected to this person. Ooh, yeah. It didn't matter if we were physically in the same place. So I, I wonder with Juno and Sag if people or Juno in the ninth house, if these people are more likely to enter into a long distance relationship um, or, you know, I don't know, beyond like what's that one reality show, like 90 day fiance or whatever, like someone who, yeah. you know, you don't know the person, but you're speaking at a distance. I also think going into the ninth house. Um, yeah, this is someone who you might be meeting in college or in like an adult computer class or like a yoga class, an astrology class, you are maybe meeting them with some sort of shared knowledge, pursuit of knowledge. Um, I also though want to say, I wonder if some Juno in the ninth house people maybe have some karma with like being priests or taking like vow of chastity or something in a past lifetime because the ninth house does have to do with religion yeah yeah well yeah. my friend who i told you who has uh juno and taurus she has it in the ninth house she is a college professor but she met her second husband at a course in miracles <sighs> retreat and they're both in aa together so these you know these spiritual things right uh -huh. and 
she has Saturn in Taurus and he's nine years older than her. So she's got an older partner who she met in a spiritual thing. You know what I mean? Who is very traditional. You know, I mean? it's just like, like when you put those pieces together of like where they met, what, what they're looking for, you know, the planets conjunct to, it's just crazy. It, it really works. is. Oh, I can't. And if you're watching on YouTube, uh, comment below if any of this is resonating. And we, me and Denise would love to hear your Juno stories. But let's get into the, we have three more. So let's get into the 10th house slash Juno and Capricorn. Um, you know what? I will say, um, uh, shout out to Rick Levine, who taught me and Denise at OPA's conference that Capricorn is the sexiest sign. <laughs> uh, if you ever if you ever get a chance to talk to Rick, an astrologer, Rick Levine, about how, why Capricorn's the sexiest sign, it's it's a good thing. I won't get into it, but um, I will say I think Juno in Capricorn is like kind of like the BDSM, like power dynamic kind of like daddy kind of thing. Oh, and talk about repression. You know, we always talk about it's the hardest part or whatever. Right. You know, business on top. You know, was the whatever whatever in the streets freaking yeah. sheets, whatever it yeah. is they are yeah exactly that is there is a power dynamic with juno and capricorn for sure it is and, like it's 50 shades of gray like juno right. and capricorn and i could say my first partner had juno and capricorn so he was looking for a capricorn he found a capricorn partner me right. and i was the stable and the da 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 but guess what he meant he wanted to be in control I was a, I was a formidable opponent for him. You know what I'm saying? I had my shit together. He didn't, he wanted what I had and his way of, of doing that was dragging me down. Mm -hmm. That got off on that. Mm -hmm. Every yeah. success, you know what I mean? It's just, it was a crazy power dynamic. So, but, but it wasn't the 10th house, it was in the ninth. but anyway, go on. Yeah. Well, <laughs> but I, know I was with a, and can I also say this when you said this about power dynamic, both of my relationships were Juno and Capricorn relationships. Wow. Long-term Saturn devoted power plays, the whole thing. It was who's in charge. We were always battling for who's in charge of this relationship. Okay. Okay. So that's I mean, in the composite chart. But anyway, back to the, what do you think, what do you think the higher frequency of Juno and Capricorn is like people who really can create a, a very stable long-term, like I've been married for 80 years kind of thing. Yeah. Empire building. I like to call it, you know, I, you know, I wanted that. I was bought into that. That was the plant, but it didn't come to fruition. But but that's the thought that they're carrying. Yeah. He's very much about, you know, the boys and, you know, his sons and the da-da-da-da-da. You know, even though he didn't do anything. Say, like, that is in his, you know, I was his Juno. I produced those kids for him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yep. Yeah. His and legacy. His team. Yeah. I don't have Juno in Capricorn. I already said I had Juno in Sag, but as a Venus in Capricorn, I really relate to that, like the sort of fantasy of building like a really long-term thing and then it being really crushing when it doesn't work out as long-term as we wanted it to be. Um, and I'm sure there's a deep down part of me that really wishes like, oh, I could have just met the one and we could be together for 120 years and blah, 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 yeah. you know? <laughs> Uh, what about Juno place in the 10th house? Do you think that's like, uh, I'm attracted to people who are successful or I'm attracted to public figures or my husband is the mayor or my wife is, <laughs> is the vice president? What do you think? Right. Well, and going back to being married to your career, that's really like their, their public eyes, the status. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if Jackie Onassis, part of her stuff was a 10th house thing because, you know, she was married to Aristotle Onassis, who was a Capricorn and had a ton of money. So you know what I mean? She went from the philandering president, who was a big power guy, to this guy who had a ton of money worldwide, you know, whatever. So I, that's what I kind of get at is like somebody for whom status is a big thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. Seen in the world as a, it's actually a really good placement. Juno in the 10th house is a good placement for a long-term marriage because duh, Capricorn, it's Saturn ruled. Um, and being on the same, having a plan, having the same goals because the 10th house is goals. So the second half, you know, it, there's a lot of good placements for Juno, but that's one of the really good ones. First and 10th are the good ones. Okay. okay. The identity of your relationship, the way the world sees you. Okay. And then, okay. So now we have Juno in Aquarius um, slash Juno in the 11th house. I'm thinking if you have Juno in the 11th house, your odds of meeting someone through the grapevine, being set up on a blind date by friends, uh, really talk to your connections when it comes to manifesting partnerships, right? Right. right. Well, I can tell you because my second partner was a Juno and Aquarius. He loved unconventional, wacky, you know, of course he liked me, you know what I'm saying? So I'm saying he didn't want a normal life. He said that from the get-go. I don't want a normal life. And he wanted freedom. He wanted to be able to, he acted like he was a single person all the time. I was just like along for the ride. I was his friend, but really he was following me. You know mm. what I mean? I was the one providing all the entertainment, Juno and Sag. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, or whatever. But what I'm saying is, I think the Juno and Aquarius never wants to give up their freedom. Mm. And they really just want a friend. And that's what he's over and over again. We are, but he wants the bottom line for his partnership is friendship. Maybe, maybe that is a good point for, you know, Juno and Aquarius slash Juno in the 11th house, like that, that foundation of friendship is the most important thing and maybe there is a story for some Juno and Aquarius people about like we were friends for 10 years and then we started married get married or you know who I'll have to check Mindy Paling's chart but you know how she has um that long-term friendship with uh is it BJ Novak um oh, I don't know yeah yeah okay so these are two people who who comedians who were on the office Right. And Mindy Kaling is, you know, best friends with this person. And he's also the father of her children through like sperm donation. Uh, and they like dated one time, but now they still claim that they're just friends. But I just feel like it's so Juno in Aquarius, um, like, OK, this long term friendship, like, come on, like, is it ne like we're all rooting for it to become a relationship, right? <laughs> right, right, exactly. And so, and also that's unconventional. Look how unconventional that is. It, it is a modern, unconventional situationship, whatever you want to call it. Right. Yeah. But as I hear myself say that too, I will note that I notice I just put like romantic relationships on a hierarchy above platonic relationships. And I think that's something that you know, Juno and Juno and Aquarius could potentially help us shift out of where it comes into like, okay, like what is platonic love? Can I like platonically cuddle someone? Can my friendships be my partner? Who says I can't marry my friend and buy a house with my friend? Like, why does it always have to be a romantic connection? Yeah. Like communes, like, you know, and like you were just saying, like, Married to your friend group. You are devoted. You get all you need from all your friends in your friend group because it's yes. still about, right? Um, also, I wanted to mention, shout out to Colin Bedell, who did a post on stable ambiguity, how more and more modern relationships, they don't have a, a label. You can't pinpoint the label, 
but you're consistently hanging with these people, right? So his phrase was stable ambiguity. And that's what I think of when I think of Juno in the 11th house is that it's never going to have a name. It's probably unconventional. It's outside the box, whatever. Maybe it's open. Who knows what it is? But you consistently keep coming back to this. Aquarius is fixed, right? The idea, you know what I mean? It's fixed. I love that. Yes. Thank you, Colin Bedell, for coining that (laughs) phrase. That is, that's really helpful, actually. Uh, And now we go into Juno in the 12th house, Uh, Juno in Pisces. Uh, I love it. Okay, let's talk, let's do Juno and Pisces first, and then we'll get to the 12th. How's that? Okay, so Juno and Pisces, um, you know, this is someone, you know, the most lovey-dovey of them all, I think, but also some the person who's most likely to get a little bit too energetically enmeshed in their partner and maybe have a little bit of a challenge with balancing their life when they do have a romantic partnership or are in love it's just like oh that's like the only thing that matters uh and um i'm thinking about just the the compassion and the vulnerability and the selflessness that can come through with juno in pisces um what do you what do you get from juno and pisces well, i pulled this up juno and pisces because we're all experiencing it right now we're yeah. all getting a taste of what people who are juno and pisces have in their relationships and so um it says instead of addressing our issues or working through problems juno and pisces can encourage us to forgive and forget you know uh if this is done excessively there might not be any progress in a relationship so bad habits and other tendencies may persist instead of being nipped in the bud connecting on a spiritual level transcends the mundane so there's this sort of like forget the world and all the whatever the practical so think about juno and virgo who wants to take care of the details of the daily life the juno and pisces would run off and live on a boat and be happy and spiritually connected and enmeshed and all this other stuff but it doesn't last very long because it doesn't you know there's this ephemeral quality to the juno and pisces unless it can be grounded Uh, and i feel this because i have venus and pisces even though venus and pisces is an exaltation my automatic thing is to see their humanness and to have empathy for them and then not address the issue and then become like Juno and become resentful and poison the water hole with not addressing the issue by spiritually bypassing everything that comes the way, that way out of, in the name of love, which is not responsible. <laughs> yeah, I could definitely see like a Juno in Pisces, um, maybe being partnered to someone who has a problem with some kind of uh, addictive personality or maybe has some kind of emotional problem and just kind of like, la di da di da like, I'm just gonna not look at that for a while. And huge. And and so if we're going to evolve now to the Juno and the 12th, illusion is a huge part. It's your, what's in your subconscious. You're seeing what you're projecting, you know? So 12, Juno in the 12th house relationship, same with sun in the 12th house relationships. There's an element of the dream or the ideal. And the seriously, I call it, you know, the rose colored glasses, but let's be real. It's beer goggles basically because you are drunk on love. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's this illusionary quality to it. Yeah. Addicted to love. Uh, Yeah. Totally. So and spiritual also. Right, right. The and the ancient astrologers said that the twelfth house uh, they related the twelfth house to places that were kind of like on the outskirts of society. So, like it could be a prison, it could be 
um, a monastery, you know, the places that are in kind of isolation or bathroom, uh, an asylum, you know, all these places. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I wonder if for whatever reason, maybe that's somehow involved in your significant other's life. Like maybe they work at a psychiatric hospital or maybe they, um, uh, are in prison, you know, where, I don't know, maybe you're writing love letters to them in prison. I mean, honestly, I'm kidding, but I think that if we were to look at some of those, let, you know, people really do write letters to these, you know, so like, you know, serial yes. in prison. And, you know, I would not be surprised if Juno was in those, those people's 12th house or something with Pisces was going on with that. Exactly. No, that's a perfect example of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. fits all the needs of those. Yeah. And it's unrealistic. That's the other thing. It's a dream. It's not really a real relationship. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Because distance often helps us maintain the illusion. You would, oh my gosh. You need to, yes. That, look, that's a quote. Pull that out. That is exactly <laughs> it. Distance help us, helps us maintain the illusion. Uh, For sure. Oh my goodness. We we did pretty good. We made it through all 12 of them. <laughs> we made it. Oh my gosh. This was so great. Um, Do you feel, uh, what if I did this, Denise, to kind of wrap up our episode here? Um, Let's, I'm going to pull a tarot card. And let's see if Juno has any messages for us. And you can also tune in and we'll we'll just ask uh, the cards and the universe right now for the highest messages from Juno currently. You know, currently it is December 8th, 2022. Juno is at 15 degrees Pisces, you know, squaring that full moon in Gemini. Let's Let's ask if there's anything else that Juno wants to share with us today um okay Ooh. okay so we have uh the judgment card uh dun, dun, dun. yeah discernment yes. look at that right away juno and pisces we just got done talking about that that's crazy okay right, yeah. right um so i mean the judgment card is is the the most blaring calling of of the of the deck like this is the this is literally the what's the chapter in the bible denise where they all the revelations Oh, okay. Yeah. That, that is what this card is depicting. Like it's like the dead rising from oh. the the horn wow. blown by Angel Gabriel, I think is the one who blows the horn. But you know, it's this like dun 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 moment where it's like, wow, I've seen the thing, I've seen the wound, I've seen something from a new light. Now, if I don't change it, I will be in a state of cognitive dissonance, you know. Uh so yeah, any anything that you kind of feel about this oh vibe? Gosh. I think that totally goes with the moon and the Mars because our emotions sometimes overshadow our mental, like our head, right? And right. Mars is like, have the courage to face the facts. Yes. And yes. that Juno and Pisces wants the higher love. It wants to transcend the mundane, but we have to go beyond our beliefs, Sagittarius, what we think our relationships should be like, look at the facts of our relationship. Yes, we want the higher good. Yes, have empathy and compassion, but bring it all together <laughs> to balance it all out. <laughs> so. Exactly. Oh my gosh. Well, Denise, of course, I'll I've I'll probably have already stated this in the introduction and I'll have all of your info in the show notes. But what are what's going on with you with uh your you know business? Can people book with you? Where are you located? All of that stuff. Give us your plugs. 
Well, um, so my website is starsalignastro.com and you'll get my whole story on there and my booking and all that stuff. Um, in terms of events, this was my most current one. I recently just did a, a talk about relationships for a, an astrology group in Illinois. So this is a Zoom call. So, um, but my goal is like we talked about is to get out in the new year. Um, I have one, it's, it's not firm, but I have one uh, sex toy shop in Palm Desert uh, that I'm supposed to be doing a Mars and Venus talk called sextrology <laughs> and just in time for, uh, Valentine's day is part of their Valentine's day promotion. So I'm very excited about that. Just, I, like I said, that to me is a fun way to connect astrology with the general public in a way that is actually really important. So yeah, that's Excellent. what I'm looking forward to in the new year. I don't know if this is a, an official offering of yours yet, but recently you kind of gave me a forensic relational yeah. astrology reading. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Offering? Oh, I would love that. And I would, I think I'm going to repackage some of the things that I have on my website since our talk. Um, what I find is with people, they'll ask me, you know, they'll be start dating and they'll be like, you know, first of all, you know, a lot of times they're not over their person. So this forensic idea is that let's go back and look at the chart of the last person and see where you connected. This is literally how I started astrology. I wanted to find out where I connected with my person and where I didn't and to come to understand it. And I think once you get past that, we dig, dig that up and you sit with it. Then when you get in the dating world, we can really, really focus on you. And then I was talking about maybe doing a package where you could send me, you know, each new person that you date, if you want to send me their info, you want to give it some time you know, if there's somebody you are clicking with, then we can look before you make the next steps. It was like, is this got some long-term possibilities if you're interested in long-term? Yes. So anyway, so cool. Yeah. Well, but I yeah. think the forensic thing is a very healing type of it. Of it, it was so healing, my friends. So if anybody's listening and is having a really hard time with like a closing of a relationship or just like, you know, moving past a breakup or wanting to get back out there, but still feeling a little bit scarred for um, like a past relationship or whatever um this like forensic astrology reading that uh Denise gave me was super healing so reach out to her with that with that if you are looking for that kind of reading thanks Val yeah, yeah I had a cool. great time yeah. well thank you so much Denise and uh we thanks for listening guys and we'll uh we'll see you guys in the next episode